time to finish the fight. On Video Gameography, the podcast where we explore the most important game franchises in history, one title at a time. I'm Ben Reeves. And I'm Marcus Stewart. And today we're joined by the one and only Alex Stadnick. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. That's right. Video editor at large at Game Informer. Marcus, do you feel it? Do you feel there's more big man swag here on today's <laughs> episode? It's yeah, it's interesting. I can just the weight of it. I can feel it. Yes. Do you feel <laughs> it in the air? That's an old 2000s rap song. Nobody knows about, I guess. Uh, but yes, I, I definitely feel the the welcoming presence of Alex Stadnick. It's always great to have you on on everywhere. You know, you're and you get to not be a host for once. You get to be a, a guest. It's bizarre. Yeah, I'm trying to to walk the line and let y'all talk and stuff. I'm trying not to to, to do my intro, but uh, you know, I'm happy to be here. I've been excited for this one ever since uh, y'all announced what you'd be talking about. Yeah. I was hoping that I could get on with this. Alex, so. you're more than welcome to talk as much as you want because you are. When I started the series on Halo, excuse me. When me and Marcus started the series on Halo, <laughs> sorry, Marcus, Marcus and I. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now you're just getting anal. Um, <laughs> when we started the series on Halo, I reached out to you because I knew you were a big fan and you were like your number one pick was Halo 3, right? Yes, this is this is if y'all have listened to me before, this is kind of one of the transformative games in my life. I feel like everyone in this industry has a couple that it's like they can pinpoint when gaming became more than just a hobby. Halo 3 is is that game for me. So I'm I'm elated to be here and, and ready to to dive into and nerd out about it. Yeah, I would love to hear from you why that is. I I have some history with this game. This game was the first Halo game I reviewed for. I think actually the only Halo game I reviewed for Game Informer, but it was also connected to like one of the coolest Game Informer trips I ever took. It was like year two working at Game Informer and they started sending me places. And then we did this review for Halo three. So we got to fly out to Bungie and play Halo 3 for like a week, which was awesome. But then that was also wow. connected to the review of the orange box. So like we also spent a week or like three days at Valve and just played a ton of Team Fortress and Portal and, uh, you know, Half-Life 2 Episode 2. That that was, I don't know, it's hard. I've had a lot of cool trips where I've, you know, traveled to Japan is always fun, right? But going to play those two games back to back for a review event was was did not feel like work in any way. It was pretty good. That's amazing. Did you get to like, so did they just housed you there and you just played in the, in, in their studios or whatever? Yeah, well, you know, we got to go sleep in a hotel. We didn't <laughs> sleep. <laughs> like, nope, you can't leave. <laughs> they put bags on your head and it was like, you can't see where you are right <laughs> now. Yeah. More studios haven't do that given how secretive a lot of them are. That's true. Well, they are pretty secretive. Brian Vore has a story. Maybe he'll tell if he's on for the ODST episode of when he went to go do the cover story, they ushered him into the building and they made him like their plan was to put this master chief helmet on his head as they walked him <laughs> through the building to get to the conference room, but it didn't actually fit his head. So he had to just hold this master chief helmet right in front of his face. Like, don't look at anything. Oh, they gave him the one from the legendary edition of this game. Exactly. The <laughs> one that only fits on a cat's head. Yeah, right. Yeah. My they God. are they are notoriously secretive. You are correct. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Halo 3. So uh, anyway, I started that story all to say that I enjoyed Halo. I think I gave it like a nine, seven, five or something. The review, you can check that out if you want. It was kind of like 
what do we like more this or the orange box it's hard to say mm. they're both great games but yeah what is uh your both of yours history with halo 3 halo 3 was interesting because like uh, i said last time halo 2 was really big for me because even though i didn't have an original xbox it was the thing my friends were all into halo 3 actually didn't touch at all until the master chief collection a few years ago because when the 360 came out all the friends that i knew that had the original xbox got playstation 3s or just didn't get a 360 it was really weird those first couple of years of like how do i not because i didn't have a, a 360 for the first few years either I, I got a ps3 so it was weird to me of like how have i not played this new halo thing yet this used to be the thing for like our social gatherings so you know i i did not finish the fight <laughs> at the time it took a good like it wasn't until about 20 I think it was last year, 2019, one or two, that I actually played Halo 3 for the first time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I but I had a good time with it. That's it. Did not transform my life the way that I'm sure you're about to say, Alex. Getting all, all emotional and sappy about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was there on, on day one. Um, so I had grown up at this point as a Nintendo kid, um, licensed games, you know, anything my parents were familiar with because it was a herculean task to get my parents to let me pl- to play video games and i had a lot of help from like my friends moms and stuff who had already given my friends like you know their consoles and stuff like that so but like i'm trying to think of a good example i feel like halo 3 for me would be today someone catching up on all the marvel movies right before endgame type of thing where it's like i wasn't there in the beginning right i wasn't there for halo 1 or halo 2 until until I got to Halo 2 maybe like two, three months before um, 3 that I actually owned Halo 2 instead of just playing it at a friend's house, right? But so it was like this exciting thing where it's like I finally had my own console on a 360. It was like the adult console, right? Like we weren't playing, you know, Nintendo games anymore. We were, we were gaming, you know, TM. And I just remember this visceral sense of excitement because it, it didn't matter where I looked. It was on Mountain Dew bottles. It was, you know, y'all had previews of it and and a ton of coverage in the mag. Um, G4 had literal hour blocks dedicated to it. It was everywhere. And I felt like I finally got to be a part of this cultural thing in the moment uh, when it was actually happening, which was which was amazing. I remember being in my parents' living room, watching G4's live coverage of the New York Times Square like release of it where they had this dude roll up on a mongoose and like deliver the first game and like and it was all leading up to like the review of it and and it's just I it was the first time I felt like games penetrated culture in any any meaningful way for me because like a lot of my friends weren't gamers and a lot of uh, a lot of my friends or a lot of the people at school weren't gamer so it was kind of like the nerdy thing i remember sitting <laughs> we were in i did bells practice uh or i did bells in middle oh, like school which bells? is you played handbells like handbells yeah well, you yeah <laughs> yeah i did those in elementary school people play those outside of christmas time yeah it's a <laughs> yeah, real thing you didn't do that i guess <laughs> no because <Yeah. laughs> because you either had to take a uh, choir band or handbells and all the cool kids were taking handbells so i was like of course i'm gonna take handbells <laughs> yeah. yeah middle school is weird man i wouldn't recommend it anymore <laughs> i would not would not recommend if for some reason you don't have to go yeah jump right to high school yeah. that's the way to yeah. go yeah but i guess where i was going with that is like i remember reading the gi preview of it you know however many months beforehand and just like hearing like snickers in the back they're like oh they're like 
me and my friends were getting made fun of because we were excited about video games, right? And but handbells are cool. But handbells are cool. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, this, adolescence is dumb. You were a bellboy. Yeah, <laughs> was a bellboy. Yes, I didn't know it at the time. I don't even know if I could play those anymore. Regardless, so it just uh, it culminated in this like moment of video games are cool. Like they're 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 you know I'm seeing the the believe ads everywhere. Like you know this is this is a moment right in in the industry, and then the game comes out and I actually get to play it and just feeling in awe of of everything that they were doing at the time like you know I, I don't know if people listening to this either remember or were there for it. maybe they are but like you know that jump from xbox to 360 was incredible the to, to hd right and to see chief and arbiter taking on brutes when you'd been so used to that visual style of halo 2 was this incredible feeling and the sense of scale that bungie was so good at creating in two especially just got taken up in another notch in in three and when i combined that with the months of time i put into multiplayer like it was just this perfect storm of having my expectations pay off and and experiencing something where i was like okay i'm good at this this is cool this is fun i like this is this is a game i will play the rest of my life and uh you know what 14 years later now because it came out in 07 yeah, so 14 years later, like that's still true. I don't think there's been a year that's gone by that I haven't logged at least a couple of matches in, in three specifically. Wow, so. that's wild to think about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a good game. It turns out we've talked, I think we talked a little bit last episode of it was this interesting phenomenon of this snow, kind of like a snowball rolling downhill. You know, it just kept like feeding itself where the first Halo came out and there was like very little coverage ahead of time and nobody was really caring about it. But then it ended up being this weird phenomenon. And then based on the success of that, two became this monster thing that everybody was hyped about. And then just Halo 2 was, you know, one of those rare games that was better than the original, even though the original was this amazing game. And so then like the hype level for three was like off the charts. So it was it was crazy to see this thing happen. And and then it came out and it delivered by and large. I mean, we can talk more about it here in a minute, but maybe to start, let's uh, dive into the dev history a little bit. Halo 3 comes out September 25th, 2007. Our old friend, 2007, one of the best years of all time we've talked about before, mm-hmm. but just as a reminder, Assassin's Creed, Bioshock, Crackdown, Crisis, the first Mass Effect, Portal, uh, the whole orange box, which we just said, Rock Band, Skate, The Darkness, the first Witcher, the first Uncharted, Mario Galaxy, Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare 3, Metroid Prime 3. I'm out of breath. Oh my God. Yeah. You didn't even mention God of War 2, which is like the last. For me, I remember that because that was like the last big game of the PlayStation 2 for me. Yeah, that game was also great. So this this monster year and helped along by obviously Halo 3 is, is also out of all of the games on this list. It felt like Halo 3, you know, you could argue had the most hype going into it, right? I'm not saying it was the best game of the year, but that that's also an argument. I mean, did any other game on that list have their like release dates plastered on Times Square on the giant screen? <laughs> We're like, Probably, yeah. yeah, like that big screen in the middle of Times Square. Like that Halo 3 got that. That's, yeah. that's yeah. a big deal. And, and I feel like COD wasn't the commodity that it is today, right? So like people didn't 
Modern Warfare was the game that really jettisoned that into what it is today. You know, maybe Galaxy for the Nintendo fans, but I don't know. I feel like being not in media, and Ben, I'd be curious to hear what you say about this. Like, not being in media, I feel like some of the most hyped launches ever were Halo 3, Skyrim was probably up there. I like, no, not even Witcher 3, but I would say maybe like Fallout 4. Yeah. I would mm. say Cyberpunk and the CD Project Red. Sorry. Cyberpunk seems up there, yeah, for sure. Kind of like end game. If you're just talking about movies, like when people are hyped about stuff, like what mm. are they looking forward to? Speaking of films, mm. 2007, just to cast your mind back to 2007, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End came out. It was a huge success. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Some people, I didn't even realize this until I was doing some research because I'm not like... I like films, but I'm not a huge film buff. But some people consider 2007 one of the best years for films as well. Really? Which I guess there was No Country for Old Men, There Will mm-hmm. Be Blood, Gone Baby Gone, Juno, Ratatouille. Like, there's a lot of pretty good films out that year. Yeah, that animated ter- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film that nobody talks about. Did, did it really? <laughs> yeah, that, I only remember that was that year. That was also the year that the iPhone was announced, The Sopranos final, the classic cut to black ending. Uh, Rihanna releases her breakthrough album, Good Girl Gone Bad. Uh, that's the year that I get pneumonia during Christmas. So a lot of things happened in 2007. Were you also a good boy who gone bad? I was I was a good boy gone very, very bad. <laughs> yep. It's <laughs> so my first uh, year post-graduating uh, high school. And so that was the interesting time of like, oh gosh, I have to figure my life out now. <laughs> uh, what a precarious time in my life looking back on it. <laughs> Oh, no. I think that's also the first year I had a girlfriend. I think that I think that charts with No Country for Old Men. <laughs> that was up there. Yeah, your moments so. of the yeah. year. Was that the date? Like you went to go see No Country for Old Men together? Oh God, no! If if I had any taste back then, it would have been. But uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what was better, uh, No Country or kissing a girl for the first time? For her, probably No Country, but for <laughs> sure. me, probably kissing, <laughs> kissing the girl was probably up there. <laughs> Sorry if you're listening, former. Lover of Alex. Bleep out name. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's dive into the development history a little bit. Halo 2 comes out. It's this massive success. We talked about it last episode, but Bungie, when they started development of Halo 2, they're like, this will probably be our last Halo. Let's just put it all in there and be done with Halo. And of course, you know, given the success of the brand at this point, Microsoft wants more Halo. They're not going to be like, oh, you gave us two of the biggest games of all time. Yeah, we're done with that. No, they were going to make another Halo. What a monkey, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, they just should have not made it so good. What were you thinking, Bucky? <laughs> that's, yeah. That's <laughs> the curse man. of success. I mentioned this Vice making of oral history last time. It's a really great resource for anybody who loves Halo. Go check it out. But Marty O'Donnell was quoted in that. He was, again, Bungie's in-house composer at the time. He said, the end of Halo 2 was so horrible, I wasn't sure if the team could stay together. It'd been such a grind. Relationships went, divorces happened. It was incredible. But after quite a number of months, it became important for Halo 3 to get made. <laughs> it's like, that's how he said it. Like, it became important that Halo 3 was made. <laughs> to justify the divorces and the, the unhappiness. I'm curious about that. They wanted to do... They don't want to be done with Halo too, but yet that ending is such a cliffhanger. Like, were they just like, I don't know what to tell y'all. This is how we're ending it. Is there any insight into yeah, that? Yeah, we we talked about it last episode, but that ending was they basically cut off the last the third act of that game. 
Got it. to get it out the door because development was so harried and so tumultuous. They just had to cut stuff. And so they cut the third act. Joe Statton, who was the principal writer, talked about it as like, oh, hopefully people will treat it like, you know, Empire Strikes Back. Like there's cliffhanger ending, but there's more to come. That's kind of how they repositioned it. But that's those two endings are very different. <laughs> yeah, I actually forget sometimes <laughs> that Empire is a cliffhanger because it doesn't feel like it to me. I mean, it does. It's cliffhanger ish in that you're like, oh, what's going to happen to Han? Yeah. But there's a conclusion in the sense, you know, there's a, you know, a nice rising action, you know, the fight with Darth Vader and then reveal yeah. and then Luke escapes. Yeah. Like we were talking about last week when we were discussing cliffhangers, like it felt like some threads were at least closed up. So it felt like a satisfying cliffhanger as opposed to the Halo 2s were just like, you're done. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> And they, yeah, they teased Gravemine and Cortana and, and stuff too. It's, yeah, what an interesting mess. It is interesting too, because Bungie was aware, like not everybody was like, oh, we nailed the Indian. I don't think anybody felt that way. It, the sense I got was that they were aware that they didn't really deliver what they wanted to deliver with Halo 2. And so Halo 3 then started to become positioned as like, let's deliver one final game. This is kind of a, a theme with them. It's like one more game. We're going to deliver one more Halo game. Let's do right by everybody and, and make it right was kind of their sense of like, let's do Halo 3. It'll be everything we wanted Halo to be. But of course, development never goes as smoothly as you want. So this is Marty O'Donnell again says it was really hard to figure out who was going to lead Halo 3. Jason Jones left basically at the end of end of development of Halo 2. Jason Jones, who was one of the early founders, not really founder of Bungie, but one of the early employees, basically the lead, the closest thing to a lead at the studio at that point, says, I'm kind of feeling burnt out and I'm going to take off. And so he goes on this sabbatical, tours the world, starts dreaming up what's going to be next. Eventually that becomes destiny is, is what he's dreaming up. But he's like, I want to think about what I'm going to do. So that sort of leaves Halo 3 in this weird position of like, okay, who's in charge? And that persisted throughout a large part of the development. So Marty O'Donnell said, Jason Jones left. He said, I can't do this again. I almost killed myself. And he didn't know nice. what he wanted to do or even if he wanted to make games anymore. And apparently the team printed out a cardboard cutout of Jason and propped him up somewhere in the studio. So that felt like he was around for the development of the game. But in reality, he just wasn't. And so then there was all this sort of infighting amongst it sounds similar to what happened in two. Like there was a lot of infighting amongst people who was going to lead the project. So it's kind of amazing in my mind that the game came out as good as it, it did because there was nobody really helming the ship there. You could say there were five people trying to fight over the, sh the helm of the ship. Yeah. Even in the, um, you know, we'll get into the, the lore and stuff better, but like after uh, the story writer, Joseph Staten left too, like pretty much the plot had to be written by committee. Yeah. That, Especially in the end product, though, I, I feel like you don't feel that, which is a testament to them. And, you know, I feel like console jumps are hard enough already, but to have, you know, a mutiny on the ship and like, I, that's incredible. I shout out to them, man. Yeah, for sure. So November 22nd, 2005, the Xbox 360 releases, which is obviously the console that's going to house Halo 3. They knew this ahead of time. They're like, OK, we're going to make a Halo 3. It's going to be next gen. But what they didn't know until they really got hands on the hardware was how that was going to like change things for them. So the, the 360 had all this built in tech to help games play online better. 
You know, there was all this stuff that was under the hood that was supposed to make developers' lives easier. But in a weird way, since Halo had been an early game letting people play online, they had built all this, Bungie had built all this tech internally to facilitate like you being able to play online. So then when the 360 rolls out, it's like, here, all this stuff is, is pre-built. That kind of screwed with their tech. And so they're like, we need to rebuild our tech to integrate with what the 360 is doing. And that just, it set them back in development, they said. They actually spent like a whole year just like rebuilding stuff just to get up to parity with Halo 2 again, just because they had this new system that was supposed to make their lives easier, which is kind of wild to think about. <laughs> yeah, I'm another monkey paw. Seems like a theme. Yeah, for sure. And then to make things even worse, you guys remember Joe Statton? We've talked about a couple yeah, times. He's the big writer. Yeah. He got into an argument with Marcus Lado, who was the creative art director at the time. And then the argument was so heated that they decided that Joe needed to leave and go on sabbatical. So <laughs> this oh other guy God. who's like this big, he's like the guy in charge of the story gets into a, a fight with other people and apparently there's tension there and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go. Uh, mm-hmm. And so he took a sabbatical. He left for a while. He went and helped with, you know, at around that time there was, there was that halo movie kind of spinning up in the works from Peter Jackson. So he went to help kind of work on that. He went to work. Um, Ensemble studios was working on a halo MMO at the time. So Joe went over there and he helped ensemble studios work on that for a while. That eventually morphed into Halo Wars, which came out after Halo 3. But for a while, it was an MMO. Anyway, your principal writer and like the head of the studio are both gone. And you have to make the most anticipated game of all time. What do you do <laughs> for this new system? <laughs> Cry, probably. Yeah. That's why. Like, we, you know, I feel like Joe Staten is very publicly just kind of like, you know, he's the, the voice of the grunts. He's, you know, he did the Halo story. He's kind of like, you know, positive, upbeat guy. I can't imagine like what that argument entailed for him to be like, nah, like F it. I'm out. Like, goodbye. That is, that's got to be some heat there. Yeah, Flip the table on his way out, yelled in the grunt voice. <laughs> Can you imagine if that's what he resorted to? He's like, you're not going to get me. I'm leaving. Terrifying. Yeah. The demon's here. What demon ate my sandwich? <laughs> yeah, that's what the argument was about, too, is like somebody just ate his lunch. It's, yeah, it's clearly labeled bag. It's, it's like, come on, guys. It said Joe's sandwich on there. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Halo 3's development, a little rough, let's say. And then this gets into the story stuff. Marcus, you said that the story was basically designed by committee. Yeah, they uh, like pretty much whoever was left or interested or had knowledge they had to kind of pull together because uh because apparently like the story that they drafted had um like it had to be word worked a few times because some threads from halo 2 weren't being addressed like well we can't leave those hanging we gotta like take what we have and like resolve these things and so yeah it went through a few revisions it was eventually uh submitted to like the higher ups at bungie for approval and one interesting bit is that uh, Marty O'Donnell, the composer of Halo, longtime composer of Halo, he was the one that apparently pushed to have important characters die in this game because he watched Serenity, the film that's kind of the successor to the show Firefly. It was basically at yeah, the end cap to Firefly. Did you guys ever see that film? No, I've mm-hmm. only seen the first episode of Firefly <laughs> and that's it. 
So I was like, I don't know if everyone just eats it in that movie or something, but <laughs> uh, have you seen it? Is- yeah, I it did this weird thing where I watched Serenity first and then I was like, oh, I should watch Firefly because I like that movie. <laughs> but yeah. it is the end of the story. And then you go back and like, anyway, Serenity Firefly, it's a good movie and a good TV series. I don't know how people feel about Joss Whedon these days. They want to su- support it by watching this stuff. Bad. But <laughs> yeah, it's probably bad about him. Yeah. You want to separate the creator from the creation, you know. Yeah. Nathan Fillion. Yeah, yeah. Nathan Fillion. There's other people in that show who uh, are positive influences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, if we want to tie it back into Halo, Nathan Fillion is Buck, who gets introduced in ODST, which I'm sure y'all will talk about at some point. So yes. there you go. Little a lot of weird. Yeah, cr- cr- yeah, you're right. Didn't even think about that. Uh, yeah, Bungie was a fan of clearly Firefly and Serenity. So that makes sense. Yeah. So if you were sad about seeing someone you like die in Halo 3, you can blame the film Serenity, apparently. (laughs) And the composer. (laughs) I mean, we can we can jump into spoilers if we want, right? Oh, yeah. We're fully prepared to spoil. If people are listening, feel free to skip ahead if you don't want spoilers for Halo 3, this game that's, you know, almost a decade and a half old. But yeah, the way I read it is Marty O'Donnell saw Serenity is like, oh, the stakes are high. After this stuff happens in Serenity, which we, we won't spoil Serenity for you, but like, yeah, the stakes <laughs> get raised and he's like, anybody in this movie could die at this point is how Marty felt. And so he was like, we need to do that in Halo. We need the stakes to be so high that you could think like maybe Master Chief could die. And so he went down and he wrote, yeah, we need to kill Miranda. We need to kill Sergeant Johnson. We need to kill all these people so that you feel like anything could happen. Then near the end of development, when Joe Staten came back, he read, he read the script and he's like, you guys are killing Sergeant Johnson. Like what? Like he was upset about it. <laughs> That's my boy. Especially in the way he dies too. If we want to get more into it later, we can, but it is, I just remember childhood uh, flickering and dying in that moment. I was like, really? This is, this is how it does. This is how it happens. This man who literally s- survived a halo ring exploding in one <laughs> gets taken out by a punk. AI. That's how it happened, uh, right? Was that was that the precise moment that your innocence was lost forever? That and then there was a certain movie I'll think of it that just wasn't good. That I was like, oh, movies can be bad now. I'll yeah. think of Serenity? it later. But Serenity, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think what's interesting about a Halo Three story and similar to Halo, uh, I guess the other two was that there's actually a predecessor comic book called Halo Uprising that bridges the gap between Halo Two and Three. It was like four issues. And Halo 3 begins right after the end of this. So just do a quick recap of this comic, which is actually kind of absurd to me. I don't know. Did you guys read this comic in the day? Do you remember it? That's not the one that Brian Michael Bendis wrote, is it? Um, oh, man, I didn't look up who wrote it. If so, I hope not. Uh, let's see. Oh, yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maliv. It was published yeah. by Marvel. <laughs> Okay, so yes, I do remember reading this and being disappointed because it's mostly about just these civilians. Yeah, I I did not read this, of course, but um, I was mostly disappointed with just the plot. I, I so basically, it's a tale of two stories. Master Chiefs has his story, but he's kind of in the background. He basically spends the whole comic aboard a forerunner ship that Prophet Truth is piloting, and he's pretty much just fighting his way through the ship trying to get to the Prophet, and he uh, pretty much a failed assassination attempt to get him. But yeah, the main story takes place on Earth when there's a colonel named James Ackerson, I guess is how you pronounce it, who gets captured on Mars by the Covenant, and they're uh, torturing and interrogating him 
and he basically because they're gonna invade earth and he decides to let it slip on purpose that there's a key on earth and he's like hey this really important key called the key of Osinalan. if you guys get that you need that to use the arc but it's in cleveland which is where i'm from <laughs> And because I and in his mind, the idea was like, if I tell them the keys there, they won't just blow it up outright. They'll have to, like, look for it. Right. Because he tells them, like, hey, if you guys lose this key, you won't be able to activate the arc and do your whole thing. So in his mind, he's sparing Cleveland from just being wiped off the map <laughs> for like 30 <laughs> minutes. And then they're going to activate the rigs later. Like, what? So, Well, it gets dumber. Um, so they go to Cleveland and then it uh, transitions to the real main character of the story. His brother named Ruan, who was like a hotel concierge. And you kind of see from his perspective that Cleveland gets invaded. They round up all the humans to like a football stadium or something. And they pretty much are like, you guys are going to find this key for us if you want to live. And he meets this other woman named Tyla, and they basically kind of partner up and they escape because they say like, oh, we want you to find the key of Os- Osanalan. And everyone's like, what the hell is that? And Ruin knows what it is because it turns out that the key is made up. It was a thing that he and the colonel as kids made up as like an imaginary game, like a, like a fake fantasy item. And so, like, it's not real at all. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, we'll keep the charade going, I guess. And then eventually, as they're kind of journeying through the city, they hook up with the UNSC and they relay this, you know, story to them. And basically, Ruin eventually volunteers to give, like, he says, like, hey, let's tell them I'm the key. And, like, I'll infiltrate the ship. You guys put a tracker inside of me. And when I'm on there, because the tracking has like homing, like it's like basically a beacon, you guys can shoot the ship down and, you know, I'll sacrifice myself basically, which is what happens. So he, he dies in a, in a fiery sacrifice. And then the colonel gets beheaded on Mars when they find out that the whole thing was like BS. <laughs> and the thing I don't get about this story is, okay, you make up, you tell them your fake childhood key to keep them from blowing up Cleveland and also ostensibly to protect your brother. Why don't you just tell them it's literally anywhere else on earth? <laughs> why does it happen? <laughs> yeah, why like, Cleveland? Why not pick a yeah. remote part of the planet where maybe there's no one living to like minimize <laughs> bloodshed? Like well, hey, if your brother's the only other person that knows about this key, eventually that information is going to filter down to him and he'll become a target in some way. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Or like literally the reason was like, well, I want to protect my brother in Cleveland. So I better tell him it's in Cleveland. It's like, that doesn't add up to me. Maybe say it somewhere else. No. Like, yeah, like Antarctica, yeah, maybe. like the Galapagos Islands, or Pluto, or like you know, <laughs> yeah. the Alpha yeah. Centauri system. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing I think it had to be Earth. I think they were convinced that it was on Earth. So, like, okay. maybe he had to work within that boundary. But at this, or just say it's say it's on the the cinders of reach. You already blew it up. Sorry, you yeah, lose. Or it's in the bottom like, of the ocean in the in the Marianas yeah. Trench or something. <laughs> Yeah, that I was. Re- I had to read this a few times. Like, I what? Like, why would he know? <laughs> but yeah, so like that happens, and then Chief, when he drops down to Earth in the beginning of Halo Three, that's him in the comic. Uh, because the ship he's on, he tries to steer it away from Earth, but he can't. So he kind of takes. He has to like jettison himself from it, and that's what you see in the beginning of Halo Three right. is him coming off that ship. Well, and that's also just the the tease for the game. That first, do you guys? 
Remember that? I don't know how connected you were to watching stuff, but that I think it was E3 where they first debuted Halo 3 and it was just the music and like Chief's boots for a second. And then he was in a poncho. Mm-hmm. You guys remember that? That was in that was for four. That was four, wasn't it? When he's in the oh, was it? The poncho was four. Yeah, that was for yeah. Four. When he's in the desert, yeah. With the, yeah, that's yeah. four. Which they never got to that. <laughs> yeah, <by the> time, <laughs> we're like, playing four. Such a random. Yeah, <laughs> waiting for that. Wait, so what was the E three? What was the announcement for three then? Because the, there was the there's the cinematic where he throws the bubble shield down and jumps into the brutes. There's there was the E three. Like gameplay reveal is it? I can't remember if it had the uh, him coming down like a comet from space. Yeah, because I can hear the music and it's, and I think it's Cortana's voiceover. It's Cortana's um, voiceover, and it is it is a desert. So I was right about that. The poncho was for you, right? Okay. But then, yeah, Chief walks out of the smoke, and that's that was most of it. And then you're, there's a shot of like him standing in front of that giant crater. Mm, yes oh, okay the very first one yeah 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 okay yes 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 i just i just all the hype as a kid i was like you kidding me look at that crater look at chief look how good he looks you kidding me i feel like every i lived and died off every e3 for what the three years that they they showed that apparently game apparently they didn't show the anything of the campaign until the year that it came out like a few months before launch like they had only shown multiplayer stuff yeah, so that's that comic is sort of the backstory for uh, setting up Halo 3. As for the game itself, just to sum it up, it, it starts in Africa. We got all the good guys from the last one, being that being Chief Arbiter, Johnson, Keys, even Guilty Spark, who's now a, a good guy because he's like, well, you guys blew up my Halo, so I don't really have a purpose anymore, so I guess I'll help you guys. And yeah, they uh, find out that the, the arc that was teased last time is like a forerunner artifact that's going to basically activate the rings remotely after you know they were kind of set to standby at the end of halo 2 truth shows up in his ship and that starts a big old kind of sky battle and then a ship infested by the flood just crashes there and kind of starts infecting earth but it's got cortana's message because of course last time we saw cortana on the ship with the flood answering questions that i don't think we ever find out what the conversation was Unless I'm forgetting something. I would imagine it was just how to get to Earth, right? Didn't, yeah. I don't think, the, I don't think the flood were, in my memory, the flood weren't aware of like where the humans were at this okay. point or like how to find them. That'd be weird if she told them, but <laughs> yeah, which, yeah, I guess I don't know. I'm sure someone knows out there. I'm sure Wade would, is pulling his hair out listening to this. Like it was here that she told him that, but like that was my always interpretation of it was that like, she revealed the coordinates to to Earth, because like how else would they? Have got I assume there? maybe he got it from the Covenant because they knew at this point. And since he, they, since they took over it, the one of their flagship ships that somehow it just assimilated that information from the ship. Boy, it's almost like the story is written by committee and <laughs> didn't really know where they're going. <laughs> yeah, because because two ends with like okay shoot, but like yeah, what other questions would? Like, is she just like explaining God to <laughs> to the grave mind? Like, I don't know what else like they'd be talking they were, about. Like, the beginning of Endgame with Tony Stark and Nebula just hanging out, playing like the little football game. They're just having a good old time on there. But Cortana does have a message saying, like, hey, the grave mind's gonna invade Earth. Also, um, there's a weapon that can stop the flood, 
without using the rings, or at least not the full capabilities of the rings. So you guys should go through this portal and, and do that thing. Cortana is not there, though. It's just a message. So the good guys find the Ark. They find out that it's building a new Halo to replace the one that got blown up in the first game. And they decide to activate this one because it's not finished. So they're like, okay, it's powerful enough to wipe out the flood, but it won't wipe out all sentient life in the galaxy. So perfect balance. But that doesn't make sense to me because the Halos were originally designed to wipe out the flood's food source, right? Mm -hmm. So this new one works in reverse where it wipes out the flood and not the food source. I like from what I could tell, like, it, it was like it wasn't finished. So I guess that is just what it could do in the state that it was constructed at. Unless so there's instead I, of building the halos, they should have built the halos halfway like that. Just, like, and that <laughs> would have solved the flood problem. Well, I mean, they're not building the halos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or is it because Gravemind was on the ring at the time or the, the arc at the time? Well, yeah, Gravemind shows up after the fact and starts taking yeah. over the ring. In theory, they're already on Earth, like they're infesting Earth at this mm -hmm. point, like because they they end up coming down and, and splashing down. So, and I'm sure there's a lore thing we're missing, but like, I thought I thought it was like because Gravemind was there, they blow up the ring there, take him out, and then it eradicates the rest of the flood. But I how does Gravemind walk around? You never really see him moving. He's Great just sort question. of always there. Giant tentacle monster. Does he like pick up his tentacles and like walk? He just teleport everywhere. Maybe he's like an octopus, yeah, where he just like like slithers around. Yeah. Kind oh, of yeah. He walks like an octopus. Yeah. How does that work again? <laughs> yeah. You ever see them walk on the seafloor? I literally just watched my octopus teacher the other night, and it was one of the most beautiful documentaries I've ever seen. But there's a scene where the little octopus puts its two <laughs> tentacles out and struts on the seafloor. Really? I'm not, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I yeah. did not know that was a TV show, so I thought you were literally saying, like, my octopus teacher. is like, who is this? <laughs> like, you have an octopus teacher? <laughs> yeah. It's an offshoot of my hero academia. But yeah, the, the Gravemind, you know, shows up with the Flood. They they take over the all the, the stuff. They take over the Ark, namely. Um, and uh, But Truth shows up, too. And captures Johnson because he need a human to activate the uh, Halo rings. So uh, Keys goes to try to attempt the rescue uh, that goes sideways because she her, immediately she's like, well, I can't kill these guys. So I'm going to have to kill him and myself to prevent the rings from being activated. Uh, she just gets murked. <laughs> so that is the end of Miranda Keys, unfortunately. And it wasn't like this heroic sacrifice or anything. It just sort of happens. Yeah, yeah. it was it was a heroic sacrifice gone wrong. because She was planning to off herself to do it she they just got to her first basically because they were she was going to kill her and 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 johnson because yeah, she knew she she was by herself she couldn't take out everyone in that ship on her own so she's like well if we kill us two you won't have any humans to activate this correct but the truth activates the halo ring anyway and this causes the grave mine to forge an alliance with the arbiter and master chief because they're like well that's gonna wipe us all out so i mean we got to work together here right just for a minute yeah. and so they go to try to uh they rescue truth or they rescue johnson excuse me from truth uh it kind of halts the activation of the rings for now but then great mind turns on them because like hey we stopped it now screw you guys again mm -hmm. <laughs> for the second time boy i didn't see that one coming yeah right <laughs> also shout out to that moment where rb just slices truth in the back like with the energy sword and gives that that triumphant like oh it's pretty good 
We talked about this last time, Alex, but what is your impression of Arbiter? It sounds like you're on a first name basis. Yeah, Arby and I, we we hang out. Yeah. Do you guys know Arbiter's first name, by the way? Because I have it written down here. He's only ever insisted on me calling him Arby, so I don't. <laughs> Where's the I, beef? I, never, we've never gotten that far. <laughs> yeah, he's sponsored <laughs> by Arby's. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? Is, it? Uh, and I'll probably mispronounce this. Thel, Thel, T H E L, the Dane, the Dean, Thel, the Dean. It sounds like that time John Travolta butchered a Dean and Menzel's name, <laughs> you know, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> at like the Grammys or whatever that was. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Dean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, the more you know. I feel like the Arbiter kind of signals the, f- I, you know, obviously Halo 1 in itself is an experiment, right? You know, console shooters weren't a thing until Halo at, at that level of prominence, right? But like storytelling wise, I feel like Arbiter starts to tap into Bungie, like trying different things. And, and I, I like those sequences, even though they aren't as bombastic or as interesting as the stuff especially in halo 2 you know going from the scarab fight to the assassination mission maybe isn't as as um interesting but i i I do love especially as i've gotten older i've looked into the history a little bit more with the covenant and the and the elites and stuff like that and just how they played him was very interesting and how they played all of their their arbiters is very interesting so um I think on the whole, I even though sometimes it didn't hit the highs that that chief story did, I I do like Arbiter. Also, I got mixed up here in a little bit of my notes for clarity. So the uh, the stuff with Truth and Johnson that happens before they discover that the new ring can sort of wipe out the Ark or the Flood, but not anyone else. Like basically, mm-hmm. they got to the Ark and then the Flood immediately showed up. Truth captures Johnson. Keys gets killed. They stop truth from activating the ring using johnson and that's when the grave mind turns on them and then starts investing the arc and then that's when they discover like hey we can use this unfinished ring to kill the arc but guilty spark who's again been hanging out with him this whole time is against this he's like well that's risky i don't think that's gonna that's gonna backfire and turns on them too and kills johnson or mortally wounds johnson and so what a punk (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, who's the punk? Johnson or Spark? <laughs> no, the Guilty Spark. Yeah. Nah, I was so mad. Still am to this guilty day. Guilty Spark is another one of those things where, okay, this guy, didn't he originally want to activate the Halo Rings and wipe out the Flood? Yeah. So why? I, I guess I'm confused on his character and like why he suddenly flips and doesn't want it. Um, Basically, he's like mad that the ring is incomplete and that activating it prematurely will destroy the ring. Like he doesn't care if it wipes out life. He doesn't want the he ring. He just blown wants up. to preserve the ring. Yeah, because he's his like first yeah. ring got blown up. Yeah, he's like Golem. It's his precious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. Wow, I've never put those two together, but yeah, that that fits. Do you think yeah. that uh, Marty O'Donnell watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy and also insisted on this parallel? Now I just want now I just want the the voice actor for Guilty Spark to go. What is Tater's precious? And just do all of those those old lines now. I I think that'd be fun. We'll get in touch. Yeah, with since them. you hate Guilty Spark so much, were you like did that carry over to like Wheatley and Portal Two? I've always because I played Portal Two before I played the Halo games, and I just kept thinking of Wheatley the whole time when I saw him. 
If you, if Steven Merchant was in uh, Halo, I'd still, even if he off Johnson, I'd still be okay with him. But uh, no, <laughs> Wheatley for life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's the reasoning why he's like, hey, this is going to blow up the ring and the arc potentially if we activate it before it's finished. And I cannot have that because it's in my programming. So Johnson, you're dead. And then Chief kills Guilty Spark. Uh, of course, Johnson dies from his wounds and Chief activates the ring, escapes in the Forward Unto Dawn ship. And enter slip space, but the blast from the destruction of the uh, the ring causes the slip space portal to basically collapse on itself, and it splits the ship in half, almost like Titanic style. And the half that has Arbiter on it gets back to Earth safely somehow. Uh, <laughs> and the hat, the back half of the ship that has Chief and Cortana is lost in space, and they are presumed dead. So there's like a big old memorial service on earth you know the the fight has been won by the good guys everyone thinks chief's dead but it turns out that chief and cortana are alive they're just drifting through space cortana sends out a kind of a rescue beacon but says like hey it's probably gonna be uh years before anyone finds us i got the sense when that happened too that it was gonna be not just years but like centuries or millennia like i thought he would just be in space for in like halo 4 whenever mm-hmm. they made it, it would be i don't know completely different like it'd be like a mass effect andromeda thing of like they're yeah. just in a whole new universe <laughs> basically basically yeah but i think that's why especially at the time i liked that ending because it very it did feel finite because you know that series starts with chief coming out of hypersleep cryosleep or whatever and it ends with him in cryosleep it's like i'm done you know, like, you know, wake me when you need me. And that could be in a couple of years like it was or it could be never. You know, I thought I thought that ending worked really well. I was still, you know, figuring I was still just a young man at the time in seventh grade. But I 100% thought Chief was dead. And that was at that time where I didn't fully understand like media and like storytelling. So I was like, well, there goes my gaming idol right there. And so then when I, you know, they cut back to them, I was like, oh. He did it. He's he's alive. Oh, my God. Who could have saw it coming? And then all the Marvel movies came out. It's like, oh, wait, they're going to do this for the rest of our lives Dude, here. You thought yeah. they actually killed Master Chief off screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Game of Thrones really taught me. It's like, if you don't see a corpse, that person's not dead. <laughs> Just like, period. Also, how fortunate that they got the half of the ship that had all the cryopods in it. <laughs> hey, man, you got to you got to make room in storytelling somehow. Um. Before we move off story, I do want to call out one of the worst levels in Halo, but also one of the most impactful. I think I know what you're talking about. Cortana, the the level, right? Is that where you're I going with that? I was thinking of the, like the flood, like, I don't know what it's called, but it's like the flood level, right? Where it's like all the pulsating walls, like you're like in the heart of their, like, I guess, I, I guess, is that what yeah, it's called? that's Cortana. The, the mission is called Cortana, yeah. You're like Floodland, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The unfun Dis- Disneyland. That level sucks. I hate it so much. It is hard and it's, and I hate the and flood. Gross. I hate their tentacles and it's really gross. Yeah. The- Anything with a living wall, I'm not into. I'm out. It's also hard I'm to out. navigate because everything looks the same. Like I remember playing that in the Master Chief Collection a couple years ago and having such a hard time to the point where I looked up, like, is it this? Is this just me? Like maybe this just hasn't aged very well. And seeing like old message yeah. boards and people like retro looking back, like, no, 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 that level is objectively bad. Like, and I was like, okay, it's not just me having a trouble with this. Okay. I remember too that uh, this goes into like the review. Like, we 
went to do the review at Bungie and it was in their big like testing room. So they had like, you know, probably 30 TVs around this room and that's where they did QA. But this is where they held the review event. Anyway, me and Brian, we showed up like an hour late or something. I don't remember why. And they set us up and they're like, hey, you know, if you, if you really want to play this game the way it's meant to be played, you need to play it on Heroic. So we set it on Heroic, obviously, and which is fine. Like, it was a fun time. We could do it. But I also felt this pressure, like, I need to catch up to everybody else because they're ahead of me. <laughs> and then I was doing pretty good. But then I hit that level, Cortana, and that set me back again. I was, like, sweating. I was like, <laughs> I got to beat the game what everybody else does. And so I can start playing multiplayer with everybody. Yeah, it was this weird I can't have, guys wait for me. I can't imagine yeah. playing that level on anything other than normal. Cause even on normal, it was a nightmare. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I, it was nice going. It's weird to say it was nice going back to it this year for MC with MCC and my prep for yeah. infinite. Cause I like remembered vaguely enough how to get through it without throwing the controller. But even then it was like, this is just a winding road of gross orange pus and I am not here for it. But I think that's an interesting juxtaposition because I think it has one of my favorite moments in the game is when you finally drop down and screen goes to black or whatever it does and, and you just hear, you found me. And it's, it's I just remember, it, it was fun going back to because I was like, okay, I remember this, but like, how's it going to do? And I still got chills where it's like that, that reunion between Chief and Cortana after Cortana presumably has done some very bad things to either stay alive or, you know what I mean? Or like allying with the flood, but it's just this moment of like, Oh, like this is what this has all been building to. And it, even, even younger, it was an emotional moment, but going back to it this year, it was like, I, I still got those, those chills. I think it's easily one of the best moments of that game. We haven't talked a ton about Cortana at all, you know, during these episodes. I mean, obviously she's an iconic character and I like her. I feel like in this game, they made her, a little bit sexier. Is that just me? Maybe it's like the bump up in fidelity. Probably a little bit. She yeah. was always kind of like, she's basically just a naked lady, right? But this, she wasn't like super <laughs> yeah. defined in the first two games. But with this hardware, it felt like a little bit more. Like, what are they doing? Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. she's got a butt yeah. and stuff. We're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like You're not wrong. Well, and I think thematically too, you know, there's always that 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 rapport between them in one and two, right? But it feels more the connection doesn't feel as deep until you get to three and four, yeah. where it's it's like, oh, this, there's there's emotion here. This isn't just like Chief is using this this AI as a tool, right? This is and and you know, Chief and Cortana have some great lines in two and one. I'm not saying that, but like it's the emotion feels like it's finally there. It feels like Chief has lost something in three and he's going to to try to to get it back and right. that carries into four and you know, five and infinite. It's also an interesting setup for because like you said, it seemed like the implication in three was that she might have sold out Earth to the grave mine, mm-hmm. and which is not good. But it's like, it seems like the seeds were even planted back then for what Cortana would become later on. And maybe does that, yeah, like, I don't know, does that soften the blow for what happens in Halo 5? Like, because it seemed like the idea or the reception to Halo 5, and this is some someone that's like maybe not as, or not, I'm not as in tune with the Halo lore as other people. But like, people seem so surprised, like, oh, I can't believe they would do that to Cortana in 5. How could they make her a bad guy, basically? Where did that come from? But like looking at this now, you're like, eh, seems like like it reminded me of like, I don't know if you could spoil Game of Thrones or not, but like, yeah. I was about to say, yeah, it. I, was say like, I was about we'll to, say to a go there. Yeah. At the end of Game of Thrones, when I was like looking at people being shocked, like I couldn't 
I can't believe they turned her. And in my mind, I was like, those seeds were planted seasons ago. I was not shocked by this whatsoever. <laughs> I thought that was the natural progression to me personally. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that that is one thing we're not going to talk about four and five on this one, but that's like on paper, those ideas work because she does show she's fallible in this. She's not perfect. She is more human than most AI. Right. And, you know, she has her own designs and machinations and, and, they touch on that at the end of, of two and then they go into that in, in three and show that she is more person than than robot. So yeah, I didn't I didn't have a problem with the with that was going, just the execution four and five was is what it is. But there is an interesting yin and yang, probably isn't the right way to say it, but you have Cortana who you said who you just said is like a little bit more has more person in her than machine, it seems like. And then you have the chief who is technically human, but very much feels like a machine at times. And so it's almost Mm -hmm. like they, they're these two opposite sides of a coin. Yeah. Which is why, you know, we talked about in our Metroid series, how Samus's best friend is basically a computer and chief's best friend is an AI person, which is, I I like that. I don't know, parallel and just, that's Mm -hmm. so interesting, but I feel like in three, they start to play it up. Is there more here than just friendship? Like, how deep is that companionship? It's, it definitely started to feel more like a romance in three. See, it's interesting. It's interesting. People have said that. And I think I agreed when I first played through it. But this most recent playthrough for me, it it, it feels like it's not a brother sister connection. And it's it's not romance, but it, it is this deep platonic love and affection for one another that isn't. Like, I think the internet goes like, oh, he just wants to, you know, boink Cortana or whatever if you can. But like, it's just, it feels like it's more than that. It's a deeper sense of caring and love than I think physical uh, um, needs and wants and that kind of stuff. It's just, there's, it it feels deeper than that to me. You know, Master Chief is, he's basically been spayed, right? Or neutered, or whatever. (laughs) It's, he's, he's, uh, he doesn't have a sex drive. Yeah, but it seems like this is as intimate a relationship you can have. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and if you take sex off the table, he's still having as intimate a relationship you could have with any entity. It just so happens they're not having sex. But, I mean, he's incapable of it, and so is she. But they still yeah. have this very intimate relationship. It almost feels like a grandparent love, which not saying grandparents aren't doing the deed, but it's like it is this thing where it's like if you're with someone for 50 years, there is that infatuation there, that 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 connection there that is unbreakable at that point. And it's not, you know, for physical looks or anything like that. It's just you are so intertwined with that other person's soul that, you know, and especially for Chief, who is like companionship and got beaten out of him when he was a little ginger boy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, this idea of family is just eroded in his mind because he had to be this weapon, right? And I think Cortana is really one of the first people who shows him any genuine compassion or treats him like more than just a tool because she is, you know, they both are just tools for Halsey and the UNSC, like, you know, and I think they find common ground in, in that. And I think that's, that's, shown well in three as, as it's build two and one and two. And then, and then they do a really good job with it in four. Yeah. If that's not romance. What is? No, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Like chief is an emotionally constipated character. 
and like he really i mean really his only real release is through cortana like he doesn't open up to anyone else the way that he does the cortana and i think as sturdy as he is as a human being like sooner or later like you were human and you need to emote and like it's gonna come out sooner or later and you know we'll see this in later games but even the brief times that she was gone you gotta see like subtly like he kind of needs that like that is his outlet like even he needs that like we all do like someone to open up to about like what's going on right now so i i do like that about halo 3 i remember playing halo 1 and because like hearing so much about cortana without context of like why she's a good character in their relationship and like you said halo 1 she's just kind of there like she's not she's just the voice in your head basically and I remember being kind of disappointed mm-hmm. because he's like, this is the relationship everyone goes on and on about. <laughs> like, it's, she's just, it's pretty cut and dry to me. And yeah, and maybe because Halo 1 was meant to be a one and done game. So they had to flesh out these characters for the other ones. Not that they kind of got <laughs> shackled to this series. <laughs> but yeah, like it, it's cool to see that. Like it is a fascinating relationship, that duality of like one is more man than machine and then vice versa. And I think I, I think it's only really, really hit me with um, and we'll talk about it more later, but with infinite. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, we should we should probably move on and talk a little bit about just some of the innovations that Halo 3 had. I remember it being a big deal that it had four player co-op. It was the first time you could yeah. play four player co-op and you could play it online, too, which is pretty cool. And it wasn't just you weren't four Master Chiefs, you were chief the arbiter and two elites which i thought was cool oh yeah Um, yeah so they kind of made a narrative reason that these mm -hmm. people are here caused more fights in my friend group though because everyone wanted to be chief but that's neither here nor there i was gonna say like that's it's like playing golden knight everyone immediately goes for james bond nobody wanted to be arby's (laughs) no no arby yeah you would think the arbiter would be up there too he's cool yeah but he's not chief you know he's not chief you got me there this was also Halo 3 also introduced equipment so you could like drop defensive screens or regeneration shields and stuff like that, which I think was fun. That's neat. It's interesting to see not quite the same thing, but Infinite does some equipment type stuff. You saw mm-hmm. the birth of that here. Big things obviously in multiplayer were Forge and Saved Films. Did you guys mess around much in the Forge? Oh, yeah. Forge was a revelation or a revolution revelation revelation works for that. Yeah, it was incredible back then because I really we didn't mess around my friend group and I really didn't mess around with like map editing and like that kind of stuff. So that was kind of a crash course in in that and just being able to freely go around these maps and add whatever stupid thing we thought would be fun was 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 incredible. It, It literally made boosted custom games into a whole new stratosphere. Well, and the the saved films, too, along with that, they were obviously two different things, but it felt like they played well together because people were setting up all these crazy forge levels and then saving their their footage of crazy stunts they were doing. Just stuff like throwing a grenade and it bouncing off three different air boosts and then ricocheting off a wall and then landing on a guy's head. (laughs) Just like it was it was amazing. And that stuff was great as, as somebody who was like covering news at the time. If it was a slow news day, you're like, what's going on in uh, Halo land? (laughs) Post a video. It was it was fun to watch that stuff happen. And you could see that it feels like the that stuff was born even in Halo one, where there were a lot of people like red versus blue. Other Mm -hmm. places doing different machinima type stuff where they would they would capture footage in Halo. And I think Bungie saw that and like, how do we make that easier for our community to share their stuff? 
and and that community took to it so well too. I just remember being astounded by people figuring out, oh, I can literally change like the color scheme if I throw a grenade at the right time and take this picture or like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. It was just, it was always so cool going on their website and seeing what Budgie would highlight on a day to or week to week basis and, and feeling jealous. Cause I was like, man, I wish I could do that. And then I would just go on and play multiplayer and not worry <laughs> about like, it. But I was like that. Is that like an early cool. example of like a play to game kind of thing? Those highlights. I guess it wasn't quite, I mean, there was the cursed YouTube edits that came from it, no doubt, but like, I think it was just more, it felt like a little bit more pure, just like people sharing their goofy, like, I feel like it was more goofy and fun than it was like, yo, like, look at this sick. I mean, there was plenty of kill tax and stuff too, but like, I don't know. It just, it felt like this community was just so like, we're going to push this to the boundaries and see what we can do with this. And, uh. You know, Bungie supported that through and through, and and it was incredible. It, it it felt like you know, this this game is a lot of first for me. It felt like I was a part of a community. You know what I mean? And and a, a shared group who who shared a lot of passion for this. Since we're on multiplayer topic, like, what were your guys' favorite memories from multiplayer? Did you guys have any favorite maps? Yes, indeed. Let's get into it. Uh, Halo Three multiplayer is the best multiplayer suite, maybe until well, we won't get into that. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, Halo Three. While maybe Halo 2 had better story moments, I think Halo 3 was the culmination gameplay-wise of the pinnacle of this series. Um, it, you know, uh, you mentioned equipment, right? Equipment was the perfect balance to the shooting and moment-to-moment dance of 3. And I think that really came about in multiplayer. I, I, and like, there's something else to fight over. You, know, every, you always fight over guns. Like, where's the rocket launcher? Where's the sword? But equipment was this yep. other thing. It was just another tool in their toolbox to, you know, give you options on the battlefield. Yeah. And it felt natural, whereas something like armor abilities never did, in my opinion, in these games because they were earned like you talked about. And they changed the meta in interesting ways, but didn't derail that classic feeling of being able to run in with an AR and get a kill no matter who you're going against. Right. Or, you know, you have your, your AR, your pistol and two grenades. So I think it was just this beautiful moment of of gameplay being about as perfect as you can get. As for maps, I think this has some of the best map design in Halo, even which is high bar, right? Because one and two have such incredible maps, but especially like Guardian and the Pit are two of my all-time favorite maps. Guardian is the forerunner alien world one, right? Where it's like it's that center uh, circular structure. And then you, you know, it kind of winds on the sides as the shotgun. There's the um, overshoot tunnels underneath. And then there's like ways to walk around on the side. Yeah. I remember, I don't know what you call it. Pit circular area. Just being, don't go out there. You're going to mm-hmm. get sniped <laughs> like, <laughs> for the love of God. Yeah. You had carbine shots coming here. You had a sniper on the other side. Like it, it was bad news bears, but it, it kind of felt like, maybe like a little bit of a spiritual successor to lockout in, in its verticality and it's, it's weird, like positioning on the, in, on the world, right. It's kind of hanging over nothing. And I'm sure people like lockout much more, but guardian, I guardian, it was like, bro, two V two me on guardian with my boy. You're not going to win. Get out of here. Like that was, that was the spot. I, I don't think people love the pit as much as I do, but I loved the pit's ability to channel the best aspects of Halo multiplayer in my in my mind, where it's like I said, you could be successful with an AR, but if you got into that more open space where people were having sniper duels, like you could be you could be donezo pretty quick, but also 
there was such a pull to that area because if you're a melee player like I am, you had to get there because the energy sword was there. So you had to fight through this like, you know, long range battlescape to to get through there. But then once you got it, it's like, yo, this is my domain. You don't get to come in here now. The one thing about the pit is it the aesthetic always kind of bored me because it just felt like a warehouse. True. But it was like very well designed. It was a very yeah. interesting place to have. It facilitated combat very well. You saw a lot of really good battles were shared on there. You're like, oh yeah. my gosh, I can't believe this guy did this and this and this and then took out five guys. <laughs> yeah, for real. Well, and I liked it too because I feel like personal taste in maps is kind of tied to how you interact with it a little bit. And I guess what I'm saying is like, I feel like everyone always ran for the sniper, right? And the the sword. I was like, y'all, the shotgun is literally 10 feet away from your spawn. I got a shotgun, two plasmas, and I'm going to go get invisibility and then it's done. You know what I mean? Or everyone push rockets, right? And I was like, nah, I'm going to go get that shotgun and lay waste to this more closed off area and and get my k- killing sprees and, and overkills and stuff over there. And so like those personal little things that it, it felt like you knew, but no one else was doing always made it feel yeah. special. I was um, surprised you didn't say Valhalla. Well, so I actually didn't really love Big Team back when Halo 3 was there because, like I said, I am a very much AR beatdown focused player. And, like, you know, my, my grenades used to be on point in Halo 3. Um, and that was a little harder to do in Valhalla because it was such an open space. But it's also like if I was going to play Big Team with my friends, Valhalla was the spot. Like, absolutely no doubt, especially with the, um, the thrust, not the thrusters, but like the, um the launchers or whatever you know like um and the iconic like scenery of that space it 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 felt like it was attempting to be that generation's like blood gulch in a, in a certain way and i like i love valhalla like especially going back now that i'm a little bit better with like the br and, and can be better with the sniper and stuff like that i feel more at home at something in valhalla but back in the day snot nosed kid just like you know give me those give me them beat downs you well, know if you like those like you said big team battles you like vehicle play like that was definitely the place mm-hmm. to hang out another icon though 100 percent. yeah but i feel like people so, are still talking about valhalla and and it did the nice thing halo 3 did the nice thing too where it did bring in the old maps which i was appreciative you know lockout came back as like blackout like last resort was was the uh zanzibar i think was the original map for that um it did that nice thing where it's like all right you know everyone's here the smash thing right and and i think it just strengthened the best multiplayer suite maybe of all time. I know a lot of people say two, but I just feel like three took everything that did that two did well and, and boosted it to, to a whole new level. Yeah. Cool. Any, uh, any final thoughts on halo? Any topic? Yeah, I think um, like the only thing we haven't talked about is the kind of secret ending. After you finish the legendary, uh, if you finish the game on legendary, they do set mm-hmm. up halo four. Cause you see, um, their ship of a chief and Cortana kind of making its way to a planet that would be the, what was it? The shield world or whatever it was called in halo four, where the game begins. So so I believe at Mm -hmm. this point, and you can correct me, Ben, but I I think Bungie knew at this point that they were, they were doing more halos after this, like contractually, (laughs) I think the agreement had been made that, okay, like we'll do X number of halos, but at the end of that run, we're going to go independent. Like that was yeah. the deal between. by the end of Halo 3's development, they had started to work out a contract with Microsoft. It's like, how can we get out from under this burden that is Halo? Interesting. 
even with the mar- marketing, they were like, well, we're setting up the next one. But even, but I feel like the initial marketing was such a push of like, cause that, do you remember the, the, the believe trailer where it was the, 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 um, the models of, of chief, right. And then that battlefield, like I felt like they were setting chief up to die in, in almost everything in the beginning. And then there's that, like you said, there's that, that, that NTs, but it's interesting. So it's like, I wonder if like that contract was like, Hey, you need to do two more games or one more game or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, sweet. ODST is basically in the bag. And then we're just going to go nutty with reach. Like, I'm, I'm curious how the actual like execution of that was. Well, we know how the execution was, but like, I'm curious, like, cause I'm sure Microsoft wanted four, right? They're like, no, I'll make Halo four. And they're like, nah, we're going to do a game with no two games with no master chief. How eat your heart out. Yeah. Microsoft. I mean, we'll get into it next episode, but yeah, reach was originally going to be just Halo four. And then it sort of evolved. Combat evolved. It, it combat evolved. Correct. Look at that. As we said, Halo three came out September 25th, 2007. Earlier in that year, in February, Crackdown released. And the best thing that ever happened to Crackdown was it included a disc that lets you join the multiplayer beta. Did you guys go and buy Crackdown for this? 100%. Yes. Like, I didn't know what Crackdown was, didn't care. And then Crackdown became one of my favorite games of that whole like generation. <laughs> really? That game was yeah. so oh, Crackdown one was incredible. It was the GTA fantasy that like of of being a superhero while also not you know making my parents fear that I'm becoming a degenerate. Which sorry, mom and dad, I am. Um, and just like the the power fantasy of that game was absolutely incredible. And you know, it was one of those in- introductions to open world gaming for me that was amazing and then on top of that i got to play high ground six months before the game came out you know what i mean like it was just it was this weird moment in time that i don't know if any other game has captured where it's like yo if you buy this game you get what you actually want but actually this game is incredible and like the devs did an amazing job with that so i'm very happy that that turned out the way it did because i love i love crackdown i'm glad it was a great game and yeah i would i wish two and three had been a little bit better I wish that series was still yeah. important, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I missed out on Crackdown, but I remember admiring that just because I was a big fan of the um, the Zone of the Enders, Metal Gear Solid 2 packing. Like, they did pretty much them taking that same strategy, because uh, that's the only reason why I played Zone of the Enders, was to get that Metal Gear Solid 2 demo. So I was remember at the time thinking, like, okay, it's cool that they're doing that again, because I think that's such a smart way to promote like a new IP to put a sequel to something that people already really like in it. I mean, there's no, I guess there's really no reason to do that today, given just the digital landscape of everything, but it'd be cool to see. Yeah. You can put out demos whenever you want. It almost feels weird to Mm -hmm. bundle them with a new game, but it would make sense if they did that more. I agree with you. It's like in wrestling, how you always use the legend to put over the new guy. Yeah. Master Chief did the job for Mr. Crackdown, or I don't know, the protagonist of Doctor Crackdown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Crackdown was the best-selling yeah. game in February of that year, and I'm convinced it was because of Halo. It had that Halo demo. Mm-hmm. Like we said, Crackdown was good, but it wasn't. Nobody was talking about it other than the demo. It, it would have not gotten the shine that it did without Halo, but also it like the game itself spoke for itself when you finally got there. We just had to get people right. there for sure. The first day sales for Halo 3 reached $170 million in the U.S., which is an insane amount. It set the record for highest grossing video game within 24 hours of release, which broke Halo 2's record for $125 million. 
they say it more than doubled sales of the Xbox 360 at the time. So when they were tracking numbers for over that holiday season, they were like, yep, Halo 3 is the reason we sold so many 360s. By January of 2008, Microsoft announced that Halo 3 had sold 8 million copies. And that's just a couple of months after release. That's wild. People throw their hands up and cheer if a game sells, you know, a quarter of that these days. For real. Yeah. 8 million is well, insane. This is this is pre-GTA 5 too. Like that's, you know, because I feel like we get we've gotten disillusioned right on what is actually an amazing seller, but like that that was not to be I mean even still today, like 8 million units, you kidding me? You're throwing parties every day. Like Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. crazy. So in March of 2009, which was like two years after release, uh, Microsoft made an announcement that the total amount of playtime that people spent playing the game in matchmaking, it accounted to the equivalent of 64,000 years of playtime. Hmm. Isn't that insane? 64,000 years of time. Yeah. Alex, what do you think your percentage is to that number, your contribution? Probably like 1%. I'm I'm eternal at this point, so you know, just put all my time oh, into that. You're an eternal. Oh wow! I am an eternal. Yes. Shout out to the movie I haven't <laughs> seen still. That's it. That's Halo. It was a wild ride, and you know, it ranks up there in the Halo games, right? Some people put it as number one. Some smart people. That's my number some, one. Uh, some very uh, distinguished outlets. Legacy outlets. Yeah. You know, I, I got to it much later than you guys, obviously, but I enjoyed my time with it. Um, Cortana mission <laughs> aside. Outstanding, um, it, yeah. It was interesting playing it knowing this wasn't the end of the series. Like, I, I wish I kind of could have been in that mindset of you, Alex, of, like, believing Master Chief was dead and that we're not going to get any more after this and having that sense of finality. For me, I was like, all right, I guess I'm booting up ODSC right now and then four. But even then, I think it's still just a, a good wrap-up for that first trilogy. And that first story, I think Marty O'Donnell made the right call, killing some characters off. I think that did add some weight to the story. Because, yeah, it did become a maybe like I didn't think Chief would die. I was like, maybe Arbiter doesn't make it out of this. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, I again, for a story that was pretty much slapped together with like tape and paper clips by like multiple people because their lead writer had a fit. (laughs) That's no, I, I don't think it was all on him. Yeah. Over a sandwich. Over a sandwich. Yeah, yeah no less. Um, but yeah, just given those circumstances, like that is, in, that is impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no other way to slice that. You know, thank goodness it came out as well as it did. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. That's how I feel about, I felt that way about two and to some degree the first game. It's like, it's always a miracle that these games are coming out as good as they are. Did you guys get the helmet? Did you guys get the legendary edition with the helmet? It haunts me to this very day. I'm I, people who are listening. I'm leaning in for this one. It haunts me this very day because no, I didn't. My parents were gobsmacked that they had to spend sixty dollars on a game. They weren't about to spend one hundred and twenty or whatever it is for the legendary one. And it's haunted me because I've always wanted that helmet. And I I have this memory of being like, I think I was in like probably high school at this point. We were driving home one day. It was like a summer, and someone was having a garage sale, and someone had it. I saw it from the mm. car. Someone had the helmet and I was like, oh my God, I want it. And I don't remember, I don't remember if I was going to like football practice or doing something like that. Like, but I was like, I couldn't get to it at that moment. And then we got back and it was gone. 
So it's just it's this white whale that has always eluded me, but I've always wanted that helmet, and I've never. Have got you ever it. looked on eBay? I wonder what it goes for. Uh, it's like a hundred. It's between. I've seen it between like eighty to like a hundred and fifty. So it's like it's not bad. I should be. I'm an adult who can spend money somewhat reasonably, but I'm also running out of space here. My my one cabinet that I get for all my nerd stuff stuff is pretty filled right now. I feel like I feel like, I, but I don't want to get it, and it'd be like scratched cat scratched up or like have like weird stains like you know what yeah, i mean don't like grab i don't anyone, you know inspect them but you know you got to cho- close that chapter of your life yeah come full circle baby wake me when you need me as i try <laughs> to put it on and go into my cryo sleep <laughs> well that does it for us halo 3 thanks everybody for listening to this episode of video gameography we really appreciate it please like and subscribe please leave us some reviews we could always use a review we appreciate those even four star reviews. We'll take them. Yeah. You can follow me at Benjamin Reeves on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Marcus Stewart seven. That's the number seven. And you can follow me at Studnik 76 S T U D N I K seven, six. No C in my name. Anything we should plug on the site right now, Alex, anything you want to promote? Top 10 Scotty season, baby. We're out here. Uh, beautiful top 10 list just dropped uh and we did the video for as well this year we we changed up a little bit and i loved making the video um i as y'all can tell i'm a big halo fan so the fact that uh, infinite was our game of the year this year was uh, very exciting to me and i i tried to put a little extra love into i love i put extra love into all the entries right but I, i wanted to make that that game of the year entry sing so definitely go check out that the youtube video it's a fun time of year i love i love game of the year time Well, thanks, everybody, for listening again. Come back next week. We'll be reconning the future of Halo with ODST. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we love that. What's the most obscure Halo lore you know, Alex? That's a good question. Um, Apparently, Moa tastes like chicken, according to Jeff Easterling. Happy New Year, everybody. (laughs) 